Hello and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. It's really good to have you tuned in for the program. God's name, by the way, is not God. That's what he is. He is God. His name is Yahweh, which means, well, that's how we might pronounce it. It means I am who I am. The name of God, sadly, is commonplace for all the wrong reasons, with people taking God's name in vain routinely without any thought. How many of us could confidently expound God's virtues and then would be happy to profane his name afterward? So what's in a name? Well, in God's name, there is much to be discovered. Dr. Corbett is in a seven-part series on the subject you may not have heard preached on directly for a little while. With the fourth in the series, let's join Dr. Corbett now for The God Who Is. Let's pray. I want to just close looking at God's word and hopefully give you something to think about. So Father, I pray that as we look at your word now, you would speak to us. You would help us to hear your voice. You would help us, God, to have our hearts filled with the reason for the season. And that, Lord, today, each one of us would have a moment where we learn something, we hear something, we see something in our heart. And I pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This is, uh, as, as you heard in the news, the God series. And one of the things that I want to do is just stop and pause and, and just reflect on who God is and what we can learn about God and what we know about God. My hero is F.W. Boreham. He, he was such a, a profound influence and has been such a profound influence on my life. He reached the age of 88 And in his 88th year, Billy Graham came to Australia in 1959. And Billy Graham had already been packing arenas around the world and wanted to hold meetings in Australia. And and he said, I've come for two reasons. Number one, to to hold these meetings. And number two, to meet F.W. Boreham. So F.W. Boreham has had a profound influence on so many people's lives, and particularly mine. He really studied the art of preaching, and, and I'm trying to as well. I'm trying to learn as much as I can about the craft that God has called me to, to use. One of the things that he did was he, he would go down to the law courts when he was in Dunedin, the criminal law courts, because he reasoned if he could learn from lawyers how to argue for the life of a man who was on trial for murder, perhaps falsely, then if he could learn how that lawyer could persuade a jury, he could also learn as a preacher how to persuade people of their need for the ultimate forgiveness, the ultimate redemption. And he would go down to the Tyree Mouth on the coast near Dunedin and would practice with someone up the other end of the beach and he would practice preaching into the wind in the hope that they could hear him. Because in 1895, when he arrived in New Zealand, PA systems weren't that good. (laughs) There weren't any. And people, when they began to hear him, they they came from miles and miles around the Otago region of, of New Zealand. In fact... In winter, their service was at 7 o'clock at night. And of course, if you're a 
farmer, you know why, because Joey, that's when everyone's milked the cows and put them away and they can come back out to church. And so they did and they would come on horse and cart in a building a fraction the size of this and they would have kerosene lamps around and uh, no overhead projectors and, and, and they would come by kerosene lamp and come to church in winter in New Zealand. Now you think winter in Tasmania is harsh. Winter in New Zealand is brutal. And they would come out at night in winter to hear this man preach. So he had something. In fact, he had something that Banner of Truth Trust listed him as one of the 15 greatest preachers of all time. So this is who I've, I've tried to learn from. And this is what he said just before he died. If I had my time over again, I would preach more about God. Not so much what he's done, but who he is who he is and I've been pondering that thought from Dr Borum for years and years and years what did he mean what is it and when you have been exposed I guess to a, a style of church where what I'm doing right now is done in a lofty spiral staircase with a pulpit up there and when I was in in uh, Wittenberg in uh, North Germany I saw Martin Luther's pulpit and it was literally a spiral staircase with a pulpit enclosed up there. And you think, golly, the grandeur of what these guys used to do. And then over time, that became just an intellectual exercise. I'm not here today to conduct an intellectual exercise. I'm not here to impress you. I'm just, I want you to have a moment just for something to break into you right now, a moment where you go, God, I want to be with you. I want to be with you. And so the God who is, is revealed in a, a certain way throughout the Bible. And it's revealed partly by his name. Now you may have heard a teaching that, that has said, God has multiple names. And I remember, I've, I've, I've seen books about it and and I've heard sermon series on it that God has names like when, when we used to think God's name was Jehovah and I might touch on that in a moment but Jehovah Sitkinu, Jehovah Shalom, Je my God the, my peace, Jehovah Sitkinu, God my righteousness, Jehovah Jireh, God my provider and so on. They're actually not names. Those aren't names. They're, they're titles. They're descriptions of God. God only has one revealed name in scripture and what is in a name in the Bible is really, really significant because in the Bible, the Bible doesn't do names by random. The Bible does names with two things really in mind. Number one, to reflect someone's character, who they actually are. And number two, to reflect their destiny. So we, if you've ever ploughed your way through First Chronicles, uh, Barbara mentioned First Chronicles this morning in the offering talk. If you've gone through the first five and a bit chapters of First Chronicles. It's name after name after name. It's like reading the Melbourne white pages, random. Just flick 20 pages and read another name. And it's like, what is this? And then you come in First Chronicles chapter 5, where it says this, that his name was Jabez. And his mother had named him, you know, basically a name that means you'll be a loser. And he said... I don't want to be a loser. And so he cried out to God, God, 
change my destiny. <laughs> change my destiny. Because he was given a name by his mother who must have had a horrible birth. And he asked for God to reverse the meaning of his name. Now, if you've ever seen a little book called The Prayer of Jabez, increase my influence and increase my territory. And, and all it says in 1 Chronicles chapter 5, around that verse, is, and God did. I think, wow. So people took names in the Bible very, very seriously. For example, in Genesis, uh, we see this in uh, chapter 2 and, and verse 20. The man, that is Adam, called his wife's name Eve. Uh, now that's not, a, that's not you know, like the name book. You know, like we, we've had four kids. We, I think we use the name book for every one of them. We've got about three baby name books if you need one. We've got, we're not going to use them anymore. Um, and the funny thing is I actually don't think we used any names in the name book. And even funnier is that when we had lost a couple of children on, on our journey and when, when it came time to Ruby, we just, we liked that name. It's a precious jewel. It describes wisdom as being above rubies, you know, it's all, it's all that. The interesting thing is we, but we, for us, Ruby was our, was our grace gift. We didn't think we'd ever be able to have our Ruby. Interestingly, when we figured out that Ruby had some health issues and we figured out how to begin to manage those, she became quite a cheeky young girl. Quite a cheeky young girl. And, and if you get to know her, you'll realise how cunningly cheeky she can be and at, at one point we said did you Ruby did you just do this she said no 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 that wasn't me that was me that was my twin sister <laughs> and next thing we we discovered she had a twin sister I mean we, we didn't even know and I said oh um, and, and what's your twin sister's name straight away she's about three years old straight away she said Alice <laughs> really where is Alice oh, I'll just go and get her for you <laughs> now the really weird thing about this is without ever telling her my grandmother's name is my maternal grandmother's name was Ruby and my paternal grandmother's name was Alice ah weird so names, names carry something and in the Bible they, they mean something and so Eve, it actually tells us in the text where it says because, he named it Eve because she was the mother of all living that's what Eve means, the mother of all living it's kind of like how did the early settlers, the English settlers name the different parts of Australia it, it's, you ever thought about this? they went to the southern part of Australia and they go, well what do we call this? oh... South Australia. <laughs> so follow me. They went over to the west and they said, what do we call this? Western Australia. Western Australia. <laughs> and so on. Not real original. Anyway, so names in the Bible, they carried certain meanings. In Genesis chapter 32, verse 28, we read this, then he said, your name shall not, this is God renaming someone, your name shall no longer be called Jacob. Where is Jacob? Where are you? Jacob. Now you know what Jacob means. What does Jacob mean apart from handsome and debonair? 
in English, but, but in Hebrew, what did it mean? <laughs> That's because the English has just sort of replaced it all, the debonair, handsome, really sophisticated, smart. Um, in the Hebrew, it means one who cheats. That's... <laughs> That's why it's erased, healing of the memories. Jacob, the one, one who cheats. In fact, the, the, the idiom, the picture is one who grabs the heel. So he was one of twins. And as his brother was coming out, this hand, it says, in the, in the birth process, comes out and grabs the heel of his brother and pulls it back in. So he was a, a cheater. So they had to pull tug of war. And they got... Anyway, so, that was, so they said, he's going to be a, a heel catcher which is the, 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 the term for one who's going to cheat. But then God comes along and says, your name is no longer going to be one who cheats. Your name is going to be Israel. And whenever you see L on the end of a name in the Bible, that L means God. One who overcomes with God. That's going to be your name. That's the name of Israel. And it says, because you've striven with God and with men and have prevailed so in the bible a name after someone was named apart from having its meaning it also conveys reputation so you know my name was sullied or my name was bandied about in town and now my name is mud that kind of thing reputation so we read in, in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 1, it says a good name. Now that doesn't mean a name like Jacob, you know, Deb and he handsome. It, it's the reputation behind that name. So a good name is to be chosen, it says, above great riches rather than great riches. And favour is better than silver or gold. The favour that comes from, oh, you know, your name carries with it a reputation for being impeccably honest. You know, as a builder, they have a good name or... Or whatever. That's the kind of thing that the Bible will refer to as someone having a good name. It doesn't mean that you've got you know, a magnificently strong, masculine, strong name like Gordon. It means that you are someone who has that reputation. All right, well, in the same sense, God's name conveys all of those things. It conveys who he is. It conveys something of his destiny, if you'll run with me for a bit. And it also carries with it the reputation that he has developed as well. So God's name both is, is, a, re, is a representative of, of who he was and it conveyed his reputation as well. Now the reason this is so important is because we read in the Ten Commandments, um, uh, have no, you, know, you should not have no other gods for me, do not create a God, uh, do not take the name of the Lord in vain the third commandment and it's repeated in Deuteronomy chapter 5 Deuteronomy means the second giving of the law and so the first generation heard it at Exodus then their children hear it in Deuteronomy and here we have this, this statement you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain and what does it mean to take in vain it, vanity is pointless has no point, has no purpose, can't do anything. That's not God. That's not God. And to accuse God of being that is really, really serious to God. So he takes his name. And I know that some people say, well, we should only address him by, for example, Jehovah's Witnesses say Jehovah is his name, which, by the way, it's not. It, Jehovah comes from a, a mash of two words that have been invented 
to represent the unpronounceable name of God in Hebrew. Yahweh, Y-H-W-H. And then you put in the vowels of another Hebrew word, Adonai, which means Lord, Adonai. Uh, if you're into Amy Grant, you would have heard Adonai, Adonai. Anyway, um, so you put the vowels in there and you end up with Jehovah because, anyway, it's a made-up word. So, sorry, Jehovah's Witnesses, you're wrong. God's name, by the way, is not God. That's what he is. He is God. His name is Yahweh, which means, well, that's how we might pronounce it. It means I am who I am. Within that carries with it, I am the eternal one, the one who always has been, who always will be. There's the destiny. He always will be. Which is really cool because it's, it says to us who are looking for help from this God that he will always be available to be who he is. That's a part of his name and that's a part of his reputation as well. So it's really, really cool. So taking God's name in vain really is to misrepresent him to others. And here's the thing about when you get to know God, you know that all of the Ten Commandments are the very things that he himself keeps. God has no other gods. God would never, Second Commandment, make an idol and bow down to it. He would never do that. He would never misrepresent himself, blaspheme his name. He rests, we read in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 4, that after he created the universe in those six periods of creation, that he ceased, he rested from his works. So, God, so all of these things, God honours himself and he's asking us to honour them as well. And when we who bear his image lie, when we steal, because we bear his image and we bear his name, as I hope to show you in a moment, we are telling all of creation, I represent the one who lies, I represent the one who steals. And that is taking God's name in vain. It's not, and, and I'm not encouraging you to do this, but if you ever drop a brick on your toe and you say, God or whatever, that's not necessarily blasphemy. By the way, it's not a good thing to do. Don't do it. So you might want to drop that and just and go, gosh, that hurt. Because um, people who don't believe in gosh end up going to heck. <laughs> so Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6, this is on a lot of Christmas cards. And let's consider this because this is what the prophet Isaiah said. The prophet Isaiah, speaking around 750 BC, prophesied about the, the coming of the Christ child. And he said this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. I want you to notice that. A child is born and it's a son who's given. Jesus already was the son of God and he was given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called. Now this is where we need to understand, it's called in the sense of this will be who he is. This is his reputation. Wonderful. Counselor. 
mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's who he is. You can imagine, just for a moment, if we could go back nearly 2,000 or so years and go to that, that time in Israel's history when Jesus walked around Jerusalem, when he walked the shores of Galilee, there would have been something that we would have picked up very quickly. This guy is different. Remember when the Pharisees said, oh, we've got to put an end to this nonsense. This man is leading people astray, telling people that he's the Messiah. So they sent the temple guards to go and arrest Jesus. The temple guards go to arrest Jesus and a few hours later they come back without Jesus. And the Pharisees go, uh, boys, is like, have you forgotten something? You were supposed to arrest him and bring him back. Where is he? Well, we got there, they said. We got there and we heard him. And we thought, wow, no one talks like this. Completely believable. Not only affected the mind when they heard it, but did something to their heart. And that's what the two on the road to Emmaus said as well. Remember that after the resurrection? Didn't our hearts burn within us? wasn't the pizza the night before. It was the words of Christ doing something in their hearts. And these temple guards came back and said, no one's ever spoken like this. Remember when the Romans who had a detachment assigned to the temple came to arrest Jesus in the garden the night of his betrayal. They came and they said, and Jesus said, who are you looking for? We're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And he said this, I am, I am. Now you've got to just fathom that for a minute. I am. And in English, they usually put in I am and then in italics he, because in English it probably needs that word he. But Jesus is invoking the Hebrew name Yahweh. We're looking for Jesus. It's like saying the roll call, uh, Jesus of Nazareth, I am, I am. And it says the moment he said it, this battalion of soldiers, battle-hardened soldiers, it says when they came out in that garden to get him, they all fell backwards. You see, you spend time with Jesus, you would have known there is something different about this man. They got up again and he said, who are you looking for? Jesus. And he did it again. I reckon he could have gone on all day. There was something different about him. Something profoundly different about him. It says in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 7, of the increase of his government and of peace... There shall be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So this, oftentimes we see these sentiments on Christmas cards and we go, oh, that's lovely, without realising just how enormous this is. This is the God who created the universe, who came in the form of a zygote who developed into a baby to walk the shores of Galilee. The one who made the tree from which the cross was fashioned. 
this Jesus, the everlasting Father of eternity. Awesome. And when the one who Isaiah prophesied about was born, what did they name him? Because Isaiah said they would name his name will be Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. What did they end up naming him? They ended up naming him Jesus. Why? And we might today think, what parent would think, I think I'll name my child Jesus. You, you, you probably wouldn't do it because that name is now associated with the Jesus that Isaiah prophesied about. But in the day that Jesus was born, there were lots of Jesus. There were lots of Jesuses around. In fact, when Jesus was presented to Pilate and he had another criminal ready there and Pilate had established this custom that he would release one of the Jewish prisoners as an act of goodwill, they had to say, and chances are that the Barabbas that was there, the criminal, the murderer, the insurgent, the terrorist, who was there, standing beside Jesus with blood coming down Christ's face. And there's Barabbas. And Pilate says, who do you want me to release to you? They don't yell out his first name. They yell out Barabbas, which means Bar means son of. The son of Abbas. Why did they do that? Because chances are, his name was Jesus too. And so there was lots of Jesuses around. It just simply was a common word. It was the Hebrew, it was from the Hebrew term. This is an Aramaic word. And it was from the Hebrew Joshua or Yeshua. It's a common name. So why, if Isaiah said he'll be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Why did they name him Jesus? Because Jesus is the catch-all name for those things that Isaiah prophesied. Jesus means Saviour, the one who rescues. It's interesting that the Bible is, it culminates with the coming of Jesus. It culminates with the coming of the Rescuer, the Saviour, the one who gets people out of the biggest predicament the universe has ever seen. And within our hearts now, we have a storyline that corresponds to this story. And this storyline, I think, is reflected in just about every story we warm to. There's a hero. Why do we love superheroes? Well, you may not, but I do. Superman's my favourite. You like that, obviously, Mark Salmon. You named your son Jarrell. Who is Jarrell in the Superman story? Superman's dad. Jorel. And Superman's name is Kalel, the son of El. And the two Jewish writers who developed the superhero Superman took everything they saw in Isaiah of the Messiah and invented a superhero to personify him. So. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, it says this, She'll bear a son, and you shall call his name, this is speaking to Joseph, you'll call his name Jesus. Why? 
for he will save his people from their sins. That's what Jesus means. And only the wonderful counsellor, only the Prince of Peace, only the mighty God could do that. Jesus is the catch-all for all of those names. And it tells us something about God. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 21, it says this, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So no matter what you're going through right now, no matter how difficult life seems to be right now, Jesus is the one who can help you get out of it. And I've heard people foolishly say, well, I'm, I'm not going to become a Christian because Christianity is a crutch and, and, and you, just, you just look to someone to help get out, you get out of all your problems. Like, like duh, yeah. Absolutely I do. And, and I tell you what, a crutch is not bad when your legs have been blown off. If that's going to help you to get around and walk, then that's your best option. And the story goes on, ultimately, to use this analogy, that one day he's going to restore everything that was ours. That's all we have time for tonight. For a CD copy or premium download of tonight's discussion, please go to our website, findingtruthmatters.org, and select the God Series Part 4 from our online store. As we've heard tonight, in the Bible, a person's name carried their reputation. God's name both conveys who he is and his reputation. Jesus was named because he was the Saviour. More from Dr Corbett next week with God the Redeemer. Dr Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.